As we continue our study of Matthew's Gospel, our scripture reading for today comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. And if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else they will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to their stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. When I was in seminary, in my very first class of my very first course, it was the very first lecture, and Dr. Samuel Lamerson said, and I'll never forget it, if you fall asleep in this class, and I call your name and I wake you up, if the first thing you say is, well, first we have to examine the context, you'll be right every single time. This passage that we're about to look at, we're going to focus on the passage on worry, because last week we focused on the first portion, which was on the material things and trusting in the right things. But this all sits in a larger sermon, the famously called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is continually presenting two ways to go through life. There's two ways that you can do good works. You can do good works from love or you can do good works for leverage. There's two, good, two ways to relate to God in prayer and fasting. You can do it from a desire and a heart of love or you can do it to try and leverage the heavens. There's two ways to relate to money. And we talked about this Last week, you can be generous with it and use it, and, or you can trust in it, and you can worship it and orient your life around it. There's two visions for your life. There's that this material world is all there is, or there, there's the renewal of all things coming with Christ's kingdom. There's two masters, and both are saying you're mine, and we can't serve both. It's either going to be a life of focusing and orbiting around the material, or this trust in God who transcends uh, all that is. He's continually presenting two ways to live. And it's going to continue through the sermon and culminate at the end. As Jesus does this, we want to recognize that he's got a context for why he's saying to us, don't worry. You know, as we grapple with life in 2022, where there's a constant sort of 
volatility, whether it's economic volatility or the fragility of our own health and our bodies, or it is economic, uh, or sorry, um, you know, racial, socioeconomic injustices or oppression or racism. There seems to be an endless amount of reasons why worry and anxiety should just be normal and kind of accept it as this is just part of being a human, is to just be grappling with worry and anxiety all the time. So the words of Jesus, if we don't consider his great and divine and gloriously liberating context, his words can seem out of step, out of touch, out of time, insensitive. But we don't serve a God who is not familiar with what it is to be human. Our God came and incarnated himself into the very essence of what it means to be human. And so therefore, this is actually an, an invitation into something wondrous and freeing. And so, unlike things that you and I can say that don't age well, everything that Jesus says ages well. And as we unpack this text this morning, I hope that you see that this isn't an insensitive command from a divine drill sergeant who's just commanding you to do something that's impossible for you not to do. And he's also not some sort of, you know, we don't want to reduce our, our Christian faith to like some sort of like Peloton rabbi who's like mandating positive vibes. Hey, don't worry. Just be a positive person all the time. And then that ends up being a really crushing message for many of us who are like, yeah, well, I can't actually do that. I'm, I'm battling my own physiology, my own, the limitations of my own chemistry. I can't just walk out of here and say, thanks for the sermon. I will now be a positive person. So what is it that Jesus is getting at and is it relevant? And I want to encourage you, it's relevant for all of us. And for those of you in here today who have particular struggles and battle your own chemistry, do not look at this passage of scripture with an asterisk. Like this somehow is only for people who don't struggle deeply with mental health. This is for all of us from a loving and glorious Savior who has a kingdom context for everything that he is saying. At the core of the Christian faith is the belief that in 33 AD, in human history, under Pontius Pilate, Jesus Christ was crucified on a Roman cross, and that three days later the tomb was empty, and all of human history and all the history books agree that it was empty. They just debate about why it was empty. And as Christians, we believe not in a missing body theory, but that hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. It's why Rome was turned upside down and why the Christian faith was not laughed out of Rome, but thoroughly permeated Rome because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. But the teleology of the Christian faith is the premise for which Jesus is saying this, which is that in the end, it will come the renewal of all things. We are living in a particular age, but there is an age to come. The age to come is sometimes referred to in Scripture as eternal life. We're in an age, and there's an age to come. And Jesus, God incarnate, comes precisely to go to the cross, the cross which unlocks the plan of redemption and of renewal, that the grand meta narrative of Scripture is exile and homecoming and renewal, that this earth will be restored. And it's from this context of not just the salvation from sin, though, of course, this is core to. Christianity and core to the message of the cross. But it's not the only thing that happened at the cross. The cross is the key that opens up the detonator, if you will, of the age to come. And because all of human history, and because your life and my life is moving towards a teleology of renewal, this is the grand basis for which Jesus is saying three times in the span of a few, few verses. My, my friends, don't worry. So we're going to look at two things this morning. Firstly, the problem under our worry. And then secondly, uh, the premise for our peace. 
So firstly, what, is, what does Jesus present as the problem under our worry? Well, we see he gives some metaphors that are actually humorous, and he does this on purpose. Striving to control what is, under, what is out of our control and beyond our control, this is, this is the problem under, under our worry. We don't need any examples of this because we're all quite clear on what we worry about. We're, real, we're clear, really clear about that. But in verse 27, Jesus implies a provocative phrase, and he's actually using humor here. It doesn't strike us as modern 2022 you know, Netflix special humor, but it's humor because he says, which of you by worrying can add a cubit to your stature? Uh, that word uh, cubit uh, in the Greek, paikun, paikun is about 18, it's a measure of 18 inches. So Jesus says, which of you by worrying can go from the life that is now to being playing center for the Toronto Raptors. How is this going to happen? It's a wild exaggeration, and he's doing it on purpose because he's preventing them to see how impossible this is. He's not being harsh and insensitive. He's not trying to embarrass us or crush us because I want to zoom out for a quick second and remind you that this is all flowing out of, first of all, don't worry about the material things, but before that, the Lord's Prayer. So this is all flowing from prayer. It's all flowing from, and you'll remember the Lord's Prayer without getting into sermon inception and re-preaching that, that before we ask God for everything, there is a reorientation. Our Father who is heaven prays. Praise be to your name. May your kingdom come. Your will be done. An orientation away from my will to your will. Resting in the sovereignty and the greatness of God. Finding great rest in my smallness as I contemplate his greatness. And after that relocation happens in the soul, I ask for my daily bread. So there's a reorientation that happens, and now I'm asking, so Jesus is now flowing out of this reorientation of, of, of prayer and of trust, and he's saying, now, which of you, by worrying, is going to change the face of your life and grow 18 inches? This is impossible. Um, we have very little control, and we free fall into worry when we're driven by the desire to control the uncontrollable, and that's why Jesus uses this image of your height. So he's inviting us into this confession of smallness so we can rest in uh, the goodness of God. There's a seminary uh, professor from Union Seminary. Uh, he was a prof there for 30 years. His name is Reinhard uh, Niebuhr. And he says this. He makes a comment on this passage about worry by saying, The human ego does not feel secure and therefore grasps for more power to feel more secure. The ego does not feel sufficiently significant or respected and seeks to increase its position. Jesus is now connecting this trust in the wealth and the security, or at least the illusion of security, with worry and anxiety. It's like I've actually not escaped the problem. I keep bringing the demons with me everywhere I go because there's, there's some unrest that's deeper than this. And so Jesus is just sort of pointing at it. We have some medical professionals in this room here who could say this much better than I could. But if you go for a long, prolonged period of time with worry or anxiety, uh, that's going to manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Burnout and ulcers and hypertensions and blood pressures. And many of us who struggle with chronic worry can, are like, yeah, we get that. It's, this thing manifests itself in my body. It can, be, it can be exhausting. And Jesus knows all of this. It's in this context where he's very familiar with the, our human frailty that he says... Do not worry. He's inviting us not to worry. You cannot control things. You can't even control most of the things you think you can control. You do not have control. And the longer that you grapple for the illusion of control, or grapple and say, yes, but if I get this small Messiah in my life, then I will have control, 
you're just going to be going from one anxious moment to the next. It will be short-lived, whether it's weeks, months, or even years. I've told this story before, but I'll, I'll just share it again briefly for those of you who haven't heard it. If you have heard it, just smile and nod at the appropriate times. This is what pastors do. Um, when Nigel was really young, he would watch movies that were really intense, and he would prepare himself for the jump scare by trying to predict it. So for two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, Nigel would be watching the movie like this. And we would just like, look at him on the couch. So what we did was we cured him of this like good parents, not of having him not watch intense movies, but just a steady stream of intense movies until he de- developed an immunity from it, because that's good parenting. But anyways, he just... And that's, I think, a wonderful picture of you and I who haven't sat in the rest of the glorious trust of our Savior gripping to these small things. Life is just month after month of it's going to happen. It's, when's, the next, when's the next foot gonna, uh, shoe going to drop? When's it going to happen? And uh, so Jesus pulls us from this and he presents a premise for peace. The premise for peace that he presents, of course, is that our lives are in the hands of a loving Father who transcends all the things that are beyond our control, and he will provide what we need. The pathway that leads us out of worry is worship. Jesus' message here is simple. This sermon is simple, but walking out the words of Jesus is not easy. And desire to walk out the implications of the teaching uh, today, these words of Jesus. It's not, it's not easy. There's a basketball net right there. And all you have to do to dunk on that basketball net is take the basketball and jump up there and slam it down through the rim with your hand. Easy. See how easy that was? Now, after the service, I invite you. It doesn't matter how easy it is. It seems so impossible. And I'm just looking around to make sure, is there anybody in this room that I think could dunk a basketball? I'm going with no. Maybe. Um, there's, there's one guy I have my eye on who might be able to do it. But we can't do it. And what Jesus is saying when he gives us the premise for the peace and he calls us to trust in the Father is stop trying to dunk. When I say to you, do not worry, it's not a command to say, just dunk on your worry. Just dunk on your anxiety. Just don't. It's so easy not to do it. If you look at what Jesus invites us to in in the passage, he's not saying dunk, he's saying pass. There's another way. Look, your heavenly father can dunk it all day. You need to turn to him, fall on him, cry to him, trust him. Just pass. Some of us are like these, you know, spiritual, we're, like, we're like spiritual basketball players who like never pass. It's like you get that thing is like got to be surgically removed from your hands. Pass it. The sin of self-sufficiency. To like, to get to that point where you're like, it's time to pray. Has it come to that? tried everything else and I've exhausted all my wisdom and I've had all the conversations and I've strategized I have moved all the pieces I think it's time to pray he says look at the birds look at the flowers consider your life verse 26 to 28 look at these things in the English it just says look it's not so helpful because it's not strong enough in the Greek 
it's emblopsate. Emblopsate the birds, emblopsate the flowers. And emblopsate is this locked in gaze. Locked in gaze. And I think if we consider what Jesus is saying is, you're already locked in, that's why you're worried. You already have a pattern of emblopsate. We've got the world in our pockets and we pull the phone out and we just scroll. We just emblopsate, 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 emblopsate. It's like an IV of anxiety just going right into us. Can you emblopsate everything all of the time as you just know every single problem, the moment that it occurs all around the world and you know what everybody thinks about everybody, every single issue all of the time. And Jesus says, look at the, what he's saying is, the way out of your worry is worship. That's what the emblopsate is. It's that you, you worshipped your way into this problem. You've got to worship your way out. You have focused your way into this anxiety. You've got to focus your way out. You have, fo- you have fixed your gaze into the worry. And the only way out is to fix the gaze on the way out. And this is why see, he's not crushing us. And this includes uh, our struggles wherever we are on the, on the scale, the spectrum of mental health. At the end of the day, what Jesus is inviting us is to curve our way out of it by not denying or downplaying the way that we got in there. Don't downplay or deny the way in which I got into my worry. Confess my worry. Turn from my worry. I can't dunk on my worry. I've got to pass it. I've got to pass it to, to, over to God. So Jesus uses this language very intentionally to, to provoke this uh, pathway into freedom. So if you zoom out again and you, you look at the passage that preceded this passage about don't worry, it is the passage about the, material, the materialism, the fixation on, on uh, the here and the now, and, the, and that bleeds into this passage about what am I going to eat, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to drink. I'm, I'm fixated on the economy. I'm fixated on the job market. I'm in year one. They're telling me there's no jobs in my field. I'm in year four. I'm in year three. Uh, I'm, in the, I'm in a career already, but I'm thinking of, of, you know, should I change careers? What should I do? It's stressful. There's a lot of worry about it. What are the implications for my family? And Jesus is not, Jesus is not an insensitive savior saying none of these things don't matter. He's not saying just be, you know, super spiritual stoics and don't worry about what's up on Monday. What he's saying is you have no control over Monday. So pass and rest and reorient and recalibrate. Because when we listen to our runaway hearts, we're held hostage by fear generated by our runaway hearts. So Jesus, by calling us into this fixation of the birds and the, and the, and the flowers, is not just take a nature walk. It is an invitation back into worship. For the explicit purpose of not listening to our runaway hearts, but preaching the gospel to our runaway hearts. You see this all through the Psalms where David preaches to himself. He says things like, why cast down, O my soul? And you and I can develop that practice of preaching the truth that, no, I do have a father who will care for me. He will get me, get me uh, through this. And so this is a very intentional meditation. Christian meditation is not the emptying of the mind. It is an intense filling of the mind. You see that in Proverbs. You see that in the Psalms. And you see that in this text today where Jesus is provoking. Hey, don't just glance at the birds. Oh, there's a bird. So, some of you in here, a couple of you at least are, uh, that I've talked to, you're birders. You know, you love going out and bird watching and like really enjoying and taking it in. 
And there's a big difference between someone who notices a bird like me. Oh, I saw something flat by. I think that was a bird. And a birder. Right? I'm like, oh yeah, I saw the bird. I think it was black or something. It might have had some. I don't really know. The, bird, the birders are like, yo, did you see that bird? Did you see that? That thing is not indigenous to this area. That bird came from. And you see, they have an, they have an intense appreciation. And they have an intense sort of passion. And they come alive about it because they are emblopsating the bird. And so Jesus is saying, this is the way in which we have to consider our father. So that's going to look like building liturgies into our life, carving some time out in the day, whenever that is, whether it's the morning or the evening or maybe after dinner, which is what we typically do in our home. But carving some time out so you can fixate the gaze, unravel ourselves out of the worry of, of the day. Invitation into God's sovereignty. The sovereignty of a loving father. Sovereignty is not like Greek fatalism where we have no control and human choice doesn't matter. That's not what God's sovereignty is. It is that God transcends all of our choices and he weaves all every choice we make, the good ones, the horrible ones, the horrifying ones. He weaves them into a tapestry for the good of our salvation and uh, for his glory. Globally, he does this. His wonderful fatherly engagement through sovereignty. You know, consider, consider how you got here this morning to hear this message from God to call you to not worry, but to trust in him, to put your life in his hand. Consider how you got here. And I don't mean I woke up, I made a decision, I'm going to come to church today, I got dressed and I drove here. I mean, like, how many thousands and thousands and thousands of things have moved in your life for you to be here, right here in this moment, hearing from the words of Jesus that your life is in God's hands? It's, a, it's unbelievable. You know, this church is here because, you know, way back in 2000 and. 12, Susan and I read a book and were convicted about the gospel and that we weren't really preaching Christ and him crucified. And we had read that book and Susan read it first and then spoke to me and we had a year's worth of debate about it. And like that led to seminary and the planting of Redeemer. But the only reason that happened was because we were given that book by a friend when I was speaking at a conference in upstate New York. But the only reason I was speaking at a conference in upstate New York was because I met him in the Memorial Stadium in Utica, New York. But the only reason I met him in the hallway of the stadium at Utica, New York, so he could eventually give me the book that would lead to the transformation of the gospel, was because I was hungry and, in the, and I wanted to get French fries because somebody over here was eating French fries. And I was like, those look like good French fries. Also, the box that the French fries were in reminded me of the French fries I got in high school at the cafeteria. So that was nostalgic. So I got up to go get some French fries, which is why I met the guy in the hallway. But the only reason that I was able to get the French fries was because I had a job at Foodland. So every time you drive by a small little Foodland, say, praise Jesus for the redemptive work of the small little franchise called Foodland. But thousands upon thousands of things. You know, in, in a sense, I'm, I'm joking and making light of it, but I'm really not making light of it because those things I just said are absolutely 100% true. I was hungry, saw the French fries, thought, oh yeah, it's like the French fries from high school. They went, met the guy in the hallway, and next thing you know, and whatever, here, here we are. Tens of thousands of things. How many things has God moved in your life? He's got you. He loves you. He will provide for you. You do not need to worry. You can turn to him, trust him, pass. He says that God knows what we need. He says it in verse uh, 32. God knows the things that we need. He knows before we even ask him. My son Isaiah, he's in Oakville right now. He's a fourth-year student, animation student at Sheridan. And he's going to run out of money. He doesn't know when, but he, I do. 
I've known for a while. I did the math. I did the math last year. Because I love him. And I'm going to make sure my boy graduates from fourth year. But he's not thinking about it. Now, he's going to think about it. At some point, I'll get a text, and he's definitely thought about it. But I will have already planned for that. He's been faithful. He's worked hard. He's paid his way through most of his school. But he's definitely running out of money. If I can think enough ahead to care for my child, and I am a deeply flawed father... How much more is your perfectly heavenly father already done the math? He's, he knows. He's got you. Do not worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first. In other words, confess that something else is already first. Confess it. Seek first his righteousness, a.k.a. what is your mini-messiah right now that's got you in knots? You have to confess it. You're magnifying something else. It's captivating your brain space. There needs to be this whole crux of this portion in the text is Jesus saying, there has been a trust transfer, and you need to transfer it back. And at the core of that trust transfer, that is going to silence the soundtrack of worry. That is what is going to lead you out of worry. That is going to invite you into worship. And normally when we say to somebody, don't worry, it's thoroughly unhelpful. But Jesus is not being thoroughly unhelpful. We need to consider the source. If you say to a small child, if one of your children is very worried about something, and you say to them, hey, 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 don't worry. What's behind that? Well, what's behind it is, hey, 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 don't worry. I have the resources, the power, the provision, the desire, the intent to get you through this. And even if I don't, as a human parent, have the provision and the power and the intent to to change this, I'm thoroughly committed to being with you in this and through this. Our Heavenly Father says to us, Jesus says to us, do not worry, because he has the power and the intent to carry us through this. We think that it can only look one way, which is that he delivers us from it, that it's gone and we show up on Monday and the whole circumstance changed according to our prayer. Sometimes that happens, and praise Jesus, it's so glorious when it does. But oftentimes it does not happen the way that we have asked. And that is not an indictment on God's sovereignty, his inability to hear our prayer. That is simply an announcement that our prayers are small, and our prayer was to the best of our knowledge, and our Heavenly Father is wise. And he has deemed that the thing that we think we need right now, we don't need right now. If we did, we'd have it. He's that good. We can trust him that much. Even when the answer to our prayer is the opposite, or seemingly to be the opposite, of what he says. You know, the Hebrew writer says that Jesus prayed to his father, and his father heard him. But when you listen to Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's like, let this cup pass from me. And then he's hanging on a Roman cross, and the Hebrew writer goes, he heard him. Because the cross is not the end of the story. And neither is death and darkness in the grave the end of our story. So we can trust him. We can absolutely trust him. Imagine the confidence and the security that we will have. Imagine the handful of quiet in the soul that we will enjoy 
when we give up our two fistfuls of toil chasing the wind. Imagine the glorious freedom and liberation that comes when we are quite simply not held hostage by the circumstances as Jesus has declared, but rather we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, knowing that all these things will be given to us. And therefore, my friends, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, and our lives are in the hands of God. Let's pray.